0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. It is game week. We are talking East Carolina and Appalachian State. And let's cut to the chase. Let's dive right into it. I'm Stephen Igo, the host of Hoist of Colors. I'm joined by our X's and O's analyst, our expert, Brett Hickman, the head coach at West Brunswick High School. Brett, welcome back into the program. I know you're fired up for some college football. I know you're knee-deep in high school football when your team is able to play. So, appreciate your, your, uh, your time joining us.
1: Great to be here. Hope it goes as well for the Pirates as the last time we opened in Charlotte, at least I think. Yeah, 2000, 2008, So hopefully we can have as much fun this Thursday night as we did.
0: Yeah, it would be uh, it would be a, quite a victory if East U can pull off the victory over Appalachian State, which as of now, as we sit here on Sunday, a ten point favorite. And you know we'll get we'll get more into this matchup, Brett. A lot to diagnose with what's coming back on both sidelines. Uh, I, I want to just start with the excitement of game week. You know, you've been in that locker room leading up to kickoff. You've been a part of a college football sideline, a preseason practice. Like, do you feel the – you know, it's probably a dumb question, but can you feel that focus, that intent change as you go from preseason camp into game week? What is that transition like as part of a college football team?
1: Yeah, I think the reality of probably last Wednesday, last Tuesday or whatever Coach Houston had them doing, when you start – really diving in in meetings toward what gearing toward an opponent game planning and the idea of going against a, a, a scout team where you're seeing the look. And, um, you know, when you've had, got a lot of guys who played before they understand the intensity and the the emotion of college football. And, and, um, you know, I, I, I think it helps when you're playing somebody that's as, that's as good and capable as app state is being a in-state game that, you know, in my opinion, should become a, semi-annual rivalry type situation I, i'm sure both rosters have uh, a lot of guys who have been recruited by both schools and uh you know I, it gets real and it got real probably early last week you know monday or tuesday as as we head into the thursday night game this week
0: i should say on our hoist colors message board we've got a great Q and A thread uh, that brett's running where he's tackling a bunch of x's and o's questions so We'll probably repeat some of that throughout this show that he's already addressed and written for him, but we'll dive more into it here uh, on the the Hoist Colors Podcast where we can talk audio. Before we get into kind of the matchups on the field, this Appalachian State program, Brett, has been, in a word, exceptional since they've gone to the FBS level. They have consistently won football games, you know, nine, ten games a year. Like this senior class that is back is basically averaging double-digit wins a year. All those guys are back, except for maybe the quarterback Zach Thomas and one of the corners who was drafted due to the COVID uh, deal last year. So, as as much as ECU fans are looking forward to this game, maybe renewing the Appalachian State rivalry, they have quite a challenge on their hands with an experienced, winning culture, don't they? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think the first thing I think about growing up in the state, when you think about Appalachian, you think about you know, how much success they had for two or three decades at the fcs level with with sparky woods back in the 80s and then jerry moore you know through the 90s and the 2000s. and of course uh scott Satterfield did such a great job in the transition to to fbs football and uh, i guess they had that one year um kind of hiatus from an app yeah coaching them when when uh drink came in there uh, before leaving to go to missouri but they're back with sean clark and a lot of familiar names on their coaching staff, with with Frank Ponce coming back as the OC and Dale Jones, you know, who's though he's a Tennessee kind of football legend, he's an App State coaching lifer. Uh, with the exception of his one or two years at Louisville with Coach Satterfield, so that the App State winning culture and just the excellence that they've had, you know, going going back to the the early '80s, you know, is something to behold, and it's it's even risen to a new level. Uh, with how good they've been in the Sun Belt over the course of the last six or seven years.
0: Yeah, it's been impressive how they've been able to really come in and dominate that conference. Uh, And really the Sun Belt the last few years has gotten much better, I think, across the board. And uh, we'll see how App continues to transition as they go through some coaching changes. Of course, you mentioned Clark in his second year with the Mountaineers. We'll see if they can keep it rolling starting this year with the Pirates. All right, let's dive into this on-field matchup, Brett. uh, We've talked about it a lot on the site. Man, Appalachian State, they run the football at an extremely high clip. Last year, they averaged 265 yards per game on the ground, 5.8 yards per carry. I mean, they run the football. They set up the pass with the run. They do it at a high level. It starts with Cam Peoples at running back, but they have a great offensive line and offensive line coach and Clark as their head coach, so you know they're going to be good up front. Uh, When you diagnose this running attack, and I know you've looked into it quite a bit, what's the biggest challenge for East Carolina? on Thursday?
1: Well, I mean, the issues are, <clears throat> pardon me, um, <clears throat> you know, app majors and wide zone player, the stretch run that uh, it's the most popular play in the National Football League by long shot. And it's really uh, taken hold in college football over the course of the last five or six years. It's it's People have always minored in it, but app has been a program that is strictly measured in it really since Dwayne Ledford, East Carolina along with their, uh, 10 or 11 years ago to, to be the offensive line coach under Coach Jerry Moore and then Coach Satterfield. Uh, no, I, I would argue that no college football program over the course of the last decade has been better at running that play. Um, and, you know, the hardest thing about the stretch is, is coaching it and getting it going. It requires a specific type of lineman um you know where where you're not just trying to maul people and move them vertically you've got to get people stretched and moving them horizontally and that's why it's called the stretch play uh you know and there's various calls that have to be made and adjustments throughout the game so there's a reason it's so popular in the national football league and it's less popular in college football and way less popular in high school football because it's incredibly hard to execute and coach but when ran well it's the toughest scheme to to stop. I, I truly believe that. And app has every variation of it, whether or not it's the, the zone stretch with a lead blocker or a zone stretch to an open ended side with no tight end or a zone stretch to a three man side. And 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 they'll even do it with some split flow action with the line going one way and the H back coming back across, which messes with your linebacker keys. And then um, you know, I think you got you can't get lost in the fact that apps really had seven years of elite quarterback play with, with Taylor lamb first and, and Zach Thomas the last couple of years and what they do in the passing game, whether or not it was with Satterfield and Ponce the first time or uh, what coach Ponce does this time, you know, do they have the, do they, do they have the quarterback play they've had the last few years uh, to set up the keep game or the boot game or the stretch play action game. But um You know they're gonna try and make that thing go, and and East Carolina's got to find ways to negate it.
0: Gap discipline obviously will be uh, critical on that stretch, Brett. When you look at East Carolina's defense and how they match up against it, I mean, I I think ECU defensively right now is as fast as they've been in years, probably since maybe the end of end of the rough or uh, the beginning of the rough McNeil era, the end of the Skip Holtz era. When you look at this defense, is it good that they're fast, maybe more so than big? Or obviously, the, I guess the ideal combination against any offense is big and fast. But I would say you see his defense right now built more on speed than size. Is that a good thing against the stretch?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the hard part about defending the stretch is, is that you work so hard keeping leverage and keeping gap control on the front side of the play. And everybody talks about not getting gap, not getting reach and allowing people to get to the edge. But, you know, teams that really run the stretch really well, they get a lot of their yardage off of the cutback cavities because people get gapped on the backside. So you do need um, you need athletic linemen that can stay on their feet and not get cut on the backside. It's not a chop block. It's perfectly legal block when when people execute it. So I don't want it to sound like, Sound like I'm saying this is a dirty play? It's not, um, but the backside of the play, whether or not it's the nose tackle or the backside defensive tackle, or when the ball goes away from them, you know they have to work as hard at getting in the hip pocket of those offensive linemen and not letting the the other guy they're attached to, you know, get them gapped or get their head in front of a kneecap. Because if you do your job on the front side, but you don't on the backside, that ball is going to hit a gap, you know, that's going to cut back and it's going to be a, a nice play. They, you know, it, it can get, it can literally beat you outside or it can cut back all the way to um, what is the new a gap. So, you know, I, I think you've got to have guys who who are strong enough to create some vertical penetration and some guys who are agile enough not to get gapped off on the backside. And if you do that, um, you know, that's easier said than done, but um you know I, the speed certainly helps you but having being gap sound and being able to put dents in it at the line of scrimmage with with some girth is is I would I would argue equally important
0: you touched on the quarterback play earlier that is really if you look at this matchup I think ECU where they have the one advantage and it's a big advantage you have uh, an experienced, pretty successful quarterback in Holt Naylor's uh, Duke transfer Chase Bryce we all know that he did not perform up to expectations last year against the Blue Devils. I think everybody – or with the Blue Devils, I think everybody agrees that he's now in a better situation to where he can kind of rely on this running game. But if you're ECU defensive coordinator Blake Harrell, how do you kind of approach it? Because, listen, we know that they're going to go play action and take a shot or two early just to kind of test ECU to try to get them backed off because App State knows is going to try and take away the run. So how do you prioritize making them – Beat you with the pass, but also obviously you can't make it too easy where they'll hit that play fake boot and have you know a tight end streaking wide open. If you if you don't stay a assigned sound or that stuff type of stuff, how how tough is that discipline side of things when you're making stopping the run such a priority? Oh,
1: it's the million dollar question. I mean, that's the it's the million dollar game plan. Can you hold up at corner? Can you hold up at safety? You know, can the can the backside linebackers diagnose the difference in? The stretch play where you've got a you've got a cutback cavity and you've got a back leaking out on the same side, or the tight end or the h back coming out on the back side, where they where they can leverage you. In in that case, you know I think that's to me that's the ultimate key to the game. Can you hold up in in not necessarily man coverage, but quarters coverage where you've got your safeties involved in the run fit, and can your can your corners hold up in one-on-one on the outside? And, and do you have the eye-discipline on the inside where you're playing some type of bracket on the tight ends or the slot receivers? Um, you know, I, I, I don't think you have another choice. I mean, you can't sit back there in too high defense because they're going to just seven, eight, nine yard you to death. They're too good at what they do. So, you know, Blake is not crazy. He, he understands what the percentage plays is. And if, if you're giving up 7, 8 yards a rush – in a six or seven man front, you got to get down in there. You got to get more people in there. And conversely, Frank Ponce is not insane either. He understands that, you know, my six can't block eight, my six can't block nine. So what's he going to do, you know, either in the QB read game or the play action game to, to, to keep these Carolina defense honest.
0: App state has some talented receivers. They add uh, Sutton back to the mix after he opted out last season. So that gives them another weapon. I thought it was interesting looking at their their pro football focus grades last year. Their top two linemen who graded out pretty elite. Both those guys are gone, so they do have to replace some key guys on the offensive front. So it, it'll be a very interesting chess match between Blank Carroll and uh, the App State uh, offensive coordinator, Ponce. Moving to the other side of the ball, Brett, uh, I think there are some similarities between App and ECU defensively. Uh, when you kind of turn on the tape and, and see them as a, a multiple front, they can mix it up. Is that kind of what you, what you take away from their defense? Uh, again, a very experienced unit that returned 10 starters.
1: Yeah. I mean, they have been elite in the front seven for, for their level of football. You know, there's a bunch of guys that they've had um, over the course of the last five or six years that could have played in any league in America and been contributors, but, uh, you know, they run that 3-4 defense as well as anybody. And it's uh, – I, I, I hate to use the word vanilla, um you know, because it's pretty predictable in, in the sense that they're going to line up in two-four techniques and a zero technique. But, man, do those guys play great technique. And, um you know, they do what they're asked to do at an elite level. And they're very multiple in coverage – uh, that's that's kind of where they get you, and and if you get in third and, third and long situations, they'll get out of that that odd front and go you know where they can get their pass rushers toward the quarterback. So you know the ultimate key is can you can you run the football against that base front where you where you basically know how they're going to line up, but can you handle how well they do what they're asked to do? Um, so can you run the football and and can you take advantage on on the outside? Where I do think. You know, if CJ Johnson is back into form like he was in 2019, I think East Carolina knows what they've got in Tyler Sneed. Um, you know, if you can maybe stretch them and, and get those linebackers thinking more second and third level, uh, get them a little more conscious of, of, of the RPOs or of the, of the intermediate passing game and, and maybe soften those safeties up if you can take some shots downfield to either Johnson or Hatfield or. Audi or whoever the case may be if I think that's a big key
0: looking at their defensive numbers uh, their linebacker play is really strong uh, their defensive lineman that stands out Demetrius Taylor 40 yep. tackles 13 <laughs> tackles for loss, six sacks in 12 games and I'm honestly surprised he came back and didn't go to the NFL I don't know if you know he's maybe a little bit too short or uh, but listed at six one two ninety and he is extremely explosive, you know, plays on the edge, plays some in the plays some in the middle. How much of a concern is uh is Taylor for ECU's offensive front? Oh, he is
1: the concern. I mean, I think I've probably watched App three or four three or four times over the last couple of years. He he had the coming out party at um at UNC a couple of years ago where I believe he scored a defensive touchdown and then just watched him in the bowl game. He's disruptive against the run. You put him in pass rushing situations. I mean, he can just flat out get after the quarterback. He's very agile to be at two ninety, and um, you know he can rush over a tackle. He can rush over a guard. Um, you know, can East Carolina's tackles and guards? I, I think that's a big key to the matchup. Can they neutralize him from getting to the quarterback and creating sack fumbles and? you know, give, give Holton enough time on, on third down to deliver. Cause I do think East Carolina has got a chance to get some people open, but that doesn't matter if you can't negate the pass rush. And when you have a guy who I think's a, a bona fide NFL guy, um, you know, that, that becomes a, a major key.
0: 67 tackles for loss last year for App State in 12 games, 25 sacks, 15 interceptions. So they create a lot of negative plays, even if they're playing, you know, mainly that base defense at times up front because of their ability to penetrate. So, you know, I feel like we we, we say this a lot, but ECU offensively last year too often gotten second and long, I uh, feel like predictable at times. How important is it to stay ahead of the change, whether it's running the football, passing the football, to getting those second and four, second and five situations to where they can maybe make App's defense a little more predictable and not let them dictate uh, the pressures, that sort of stuff. Well, I think any time you're playing
1: some people or as much talent as you, you have, and, and that's obviously the case, you know, apps a 10-point favorite, and I think most people, the experts would say they're projected to win the game by, you know, a score, or a touchdown. So any time you can put them in more predictable-based situations and they're not able to attack the quarterback, uh, the better chance you have a move in the football. I think that's I think that's an every-week thing for East Carolina. I think this team to make – the next jump, you know, the, the jump from going to, you know, adequate offensively to good to great, you know, and competing for an AAC championship over the course of the next two years has to be an offense that can run the football when it wants to run it. And, and when I say run it, I mean, also including efficient RPO passes, you know, that gets you in second and five second and two, second second medium situations to where, Um, the whole gamut's open because if you're playing in second and 10, people all of a sudden get nickel on the field on second down and then they get dime on the field in third down and no quarterback's efficient when when people can just tee off on him. And, and that's a, that's a massive key. And I think as East Carolina improved last year was because they, they stayed out of those situations and they ran the football more efficiently. They threw the short pass more efficiently and, if they'll do that, um, you know, against app or whoever, they're going to have a chance to move the football and score points.
0: First game of the year, Brett, and you touched on this on the Hoist of Colors message board, it's, it can be a crapshoot because of kind of the unknown on both sides. With so many returning starters on each side and, and really so many familiar coaches, even though Ponce is a new OC, he's been in that app tree. You expect him to basically run the same system. Does that – negate any of the first game stuff at all or is it still kind of a a situation where sometimes you just don't know how good you know we don't know how good ecu has gotten year over year especially with a young roster and we don't know how app maybe has transitioned with with so many guys coming back and a new oc so how much of the uncertainty of that first game do you think will play a role on thursday night i think in
1: ECU. I think it plays a huge role because I think you've seen a roster turnover from the last couple of years to uh, what was a young and, quite frankly, not very talented team when Coach Houston arrived to at least um, he's got a group that's got some experience. They've gotten a true offseason now. So East Carolina is more unknown than Appalachia is. I think there's a commodity in that people know what app state's going to be, you know, that's going to be a nine or 10 win football team that can compete with coastal in Louisiana for a Sunbelt championship and be at the upper tier of the group of, of, the G five. I mean, they've done it for seven years, uh, but ECU has, you know, they've raised their recruiting profile. They've got better players and they've actually gotten a true off season, you know, where, where as the case last year, you know, it is what it is. And um, so, yeah, if, if there's any surprise, Friday night, it's going to be what East Carolina looks like physically, in my opinion, and how what the improvements are to their bodies. And as is the case with open, openers, Steven, and I've been a part of this for 35 years as a coach's son, as a player, as a, as a coach, most times in openers, it comes down to three things. and I know it's cliche, but it comes down to penalties, it comes down to turnovers, and it comes down to special teams. And if ECU wants to win the football game on Friday night, they're going to have to win the turnover battle. They're going to have to win the penalty battle and an explosive play in the kicking game. You know, that, that is very key. It's vital in, in my situation. I I think, you know, you go back to that 2008 game at Virginia tech, we nearly lost three, you know, I don't, Many people don't remember this because we ended up winning the game, but we we had a blocked PAT that was returned for two points in that game. That uh, had we had not been able to score late off of the defensive touchdown, we would have been five down instead of two down or three down. So we couldn't have tied the game with a field goal. And of course, TJ gets the block punt, or um, you know that's obviously something that you got to think about. in my own game a couple of weeks ago in our opener, you know we had a punt get blocked and gave another short field because of a. Um, you know, a, a a bad special teams play or whatever the case may be. So I think when you're the underdog, and, and conversely, when I was at Gardner Webb, we beat Richmond in an opener because we took a kickback. You know, beat them 12 to 10. It was the only offensive touchdown of the game. We, well, we took it back to about the 30, and then kicked a field goal with no time left to win. So special teams could, could play a huge could play a huge deal, as it did in the last. East Carolina game, you know, the SMU game, the fake punt on the first series really, to me, sparked the entire first half. That was the best half that's happened in the Houston era, maybe, um, since the wins over Carolina and Virginia Tech in the Ruffin era. That might be the best the ECU football team has played. So turnovers, special teams, penalties in in that order. If, if you take care and you win those three phases, ECU is going to have a chance on Thursday night.
0: You mentioned special teams, so I just want to hit on this quickly. You know, watching preseason practice over the years, you you can't really simulate, like, a live kickoff where you just go, you know, it's not done a lot where you simulate a true live kickoff where you're out there trying to knock the crap out of the other team, do a true live return. So, like, when you're a coach, you've been a special teams coordinator at the college level. How nerve-wracking is that first kickoff where maybe – you really get to see what, what your kick coverage team looks like, what your kick return team looks like, and then your punt team, all that stuff, when you're really truly going live against a new team for the first time.
1: Well, I've lost more sleep in my life over the kickoff and over the punt team. I mean, it, it just is what it is because the idea is that you're usually kicking the ball to one of the best players on the team, as is the case every time Tyler Sneeds back there for – I mean, there's a chance that – I've never understood coaches that are like, well, we can't get a guy hurt on kick return or punt return. I mean, or kickoff or or those six points that you can score give up any different on on that than they are um, on an offense or defensive situation. So you're usually kicking the ball to one of their best players. And like you said, you just – for the health and safety of your team and your players, you cannot simulate it every day at practice. I mean – you work so hard on drills, you work hard on getting the guys a key, and, uh, you know, the one thing I do know, having coached against Coach Houston, both at Lenore Ryan and the Citadel, he usually has his better players out there on special teams, which if somebody has a breakdown, then somebody can usually get off a block and make a tackle or whatever the case may be, but, boy, it is a it's not just openers man it's every time you're going through a week and you know somebody's got somebody that can take something back um boy it's a weapon and it's something that that the staff's got to worry about this week and it's one thing I, I know Mike Houston is um, stressing this week is getting points when it's time to get points knocking in field goals when you're inside the 30 um, you know challenging maybe getting a blocked kick when to get away from the football, you know, what's a live ball off a block kick versus what's a dead ball. Or, you know, when do you get away from a punt? When do you let one go? I mean, Nebraska went away yesterday. The guy's going back over his head and catching the ball on the two yard line, giving up two points. I mean, you got these coaches do a good job. And they have so much access to video showing what these knuckleheads do in other games or in the, even professional football players doing something stupid, you know? Um, So you you can't do anything like that. And in any time you might be either out talented or, you know, I I should say app is out established East Carolina over the course of the last five or six years. And there's no doubt in that. So you you can't give them points. You can't give them extra possessions if you really want to win the game.
0: All right, Brett, A few more things. We'll wrap this thing up. Uh, I want to get your biggest concern going into this matchup if you're East Carolina, and also uh, the biggest, I guess, advantage ECU has, if any, on paper. When you look at this matchup, we'll start. We'll start with the good. Th- the good news is there. An, is there a clear advantage or a clear point that ECU can exploit maybe Appalachia State, or do they just have an advantage positionally?
1: Oh, I think the advantage is quarterback play. And if you could pick one position where you'd want to be better than the other team, or at least more proven, it's at that position. Now, like you said, Bryce, he transferred into Duke last year, but it is. he doesn't get a spring practice, you know, they've got some issues on who's the play caller at Duke was cut doing it, was somebody else doing it, and for various reasons, it just it was not a good mix, it was not a good fit there. Uh, that is a little bit more of a quarterback-friendly system, uh, as case may be. I mean, I, I know you're a Bronco fan, and that that stretch run game, it continued to go on, and even guys like Brian Greasy produced after uh, John Elway. So, you know, the, the reality is, is that Bryce is going to be a better player at Appalachian than he was last year, but Holton is a proven commodity. You know, I know there's always message board fodder and, and things of that nature, but like East Carolina is okay at, at the starting quarterback position. I think it's important to mention that, um, and I think it's I think it's a big advantage to have a have a proven signal caller back there at quarterback that that continue, that got better and better as last year went on, and I think I just conjecture they wanted him to lose some weight. I think you're going to see more of. Uh, what we saw the first year, first couple of years, where he they're a little bit more willing to run him, and when Holton can truly be Holton, he becomes a better thrower, he becomes a better runner. It's just a it's just a better option uh, in total for uh, ECU. As far as the concern, I mean, outside of what we talked about with special teams and turnovers, it, it's defending that that running game, and. You could tell early in the year whether or not it was the Georgia State game last year or whatever the case might be. Coach Harrell felt like he had to blitz into everything, you know, because they couldn't hold up physically. They couldn't – you know, didn't have enough bodies in the trenches. I do think ECU is substantially deeper than they've been. Uh, They are going into the first half without DeBruy, which is one of your better, more proven guys on the defensive line. Um, But you just can't. I've always said from a play callings perspective, you know, the offensive coordinator is going to have a better call 10, 10 times in a game. The defensive coordinator is going to have a better call 10 times in a game. The rest of it's just going to come down to uh, which team executes their plan better or who's got better players or whatever the case may be. So I, 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 Coach Carroll can't feel like he has to make 30 great play calls to get them behind the chains. He needs, they need to hit on a couple of blitz calls that get at behind the chains. But by and large, you got to be able to hold up. Um, You got to be able to hold up in in base defenses. You got to be able to hold up in five man pressures as opposed to six or seven man pressures, and uh, that's the biggest key. You know, can 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 ECU hold up without feeling like they have to scheme their way into everything because eventually if you guess you don't guess wrong and when you play people that are explosive if you guess wrong you give up explosive plays and that always leads me back to you know how old coach holtz when he used to you know when skip came down to um he'd always talk about the seven areas that defined being a football game and it was penalties turnovers, special teams missed assignments uh not flinching but explosive plays you know can can, ecu gave up a ton of them last year because they they created more in the backfield than they've done than they've done in, in recent history but you know that's the nature of feeling like um you know it's great to blitz and it looks great when it works but eventually somebody's band's playing, and a lot of times it's not yours. So can ECU hold up against the run game without feeling like they have to call, without Coach Harrell feeling like he has to call a, a perfect game?
0: Yeah, very interested to see that dynamic because we know that Coach Harrell wants to stay aggressive. I don't think he wants to have to be as aggressive as last year. Uh, that Georgia State game in particular, you know, they they created a big play early with the pick six. And then after that, they gave up a lot of play action, deep balls, a lot of big runs that they just got gapped on. So very interested to see how they combat that because Georgia State, in some respects, very similar to App State. Um, So excited to kind of see this matchup. And I think you brought up a good point about Holton Aylers. He's told me since I think a a week or two after the SMU game last year, he's been watching App State film since preparing for this game. So nobody's going to be more prepared than Holton. Uh, I think he's very motivated for this year. I uh, expect him to play the best ball of his career and we'll see where that leads East Carolina long-term. All right, it's prediction time. Brett, I know we both kind of hate this segment, but hey, let's give some type of prediction. Even even if it's not a win or loss, um, what type of performance do you think we see on Thursday night? What type of game? Any gut feeling going into this one?
1: I've been on record. I think it's the Mike Houston coming out party. I think this is the I think they win the game. I really do. I think the recruiting over the course of the last couple of years, I think having a true offseason, I'm a, I'm a massive believer in his staff. I think, um, you know, app, though, they've got some consistency back, you know, what the turnover between going to a new quarterback between a, a, a newer coordinator on, on one side of the ball and, I just – I think ECU finds a way to win the game. I don't I, – just the gut feeling, you know, there's nothing from a football standpoint that says uh, that's what I should feel. But I think the Pirates win by a touchdown. I think they beat them by i – I'm going – I'm going to go
0: 31-26. I've gone back and forth on this game all offseason. Originally, I had it as an East Carolina win. I do think this team is going to be so much better – I think this game is going to be a nail-biter. I just I worry about App's overall experience, overall just winning culture. ECU is going to have to overcome that, and maybe they can, but that, I, I'm going App State. I think App State finds a way to win this game. I hope I'm wrong, though. I hope I'm eating crow. I do think it's going to be a hell of a game. Like you said, Brett, would love to see it, and we are going to see it a couple more times this decade. Would love to see it kind of become a, a mainstay on the schedule going forward but man i'm excited game week is back football is back we've waited all off for this brett and it's finally here
1: yep at some point a loser has to become a winner or he doesn't or or it doesn't happen so you know it's gonna happen at some point he's got coach houston's got too much of a proven track record uh there's a lot of optimism coming out of the camp right now from from players and and coaches that i know i just Got the hunch, man. I'm going out, but exciting to have pirate football back.
0: I won't name them, but I'll say that I put our uh, our preview up as far as predictions the other day, and I had a player message me and say ECU by three touchdowns. So uh, I hope he's right, but I ain't going that far. <laughs> at least, hey, at least they're confident. At least they're uh, they're going in with some swagger. So we'll see what happens, man. But it's been fun, uh, Brett. Hope you guys can get back on the field soon at at West Brunswick and start rattling off some wins. But uh, we'll have you again on in the podcast later this season maybe maybe on if ecu beats app to uh we'll get you on to gloat about your prediction and to wrap it up
1: yeah i'll be hiding if they don't so i've got two i got two app guys on my staff so we're uh we're, we're going at each other pretty good right
0: now good stuff that is brett hickman i'm steven i go kick off at 7 30 on thursday night in in charlotte we'll be bringing you live coverage from net. Until then, you've been listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. We'll talk to you after the game.